How many of you know we have five senses? Five senses, seeing, tasting, smelling, hearing, touching. But your eyesight is one of your most important senses. 80% of what we perceive comes through our sense of sight. Research has proven that. Uh, The eyes are your body's most highly developed sensory organ. In fact, get this, each eye has more than 1 million optic nerve cells and over 106 million photoreceptor cells, making your eyes one of the most complex organs that you have in your body. I I challenge you, Google it. Just Google eye and just watch some videos that that Stanford University and others have put out about your eyes. It's amazing. It is so much fun to learn about this organ, uh, the eye. Um, In fact, your eyes, it's a far larger part of the brain is dedicated to vision more than hearing, taste, touch, smell combined. Wow. And yet people take our eyesight for granted. We all do, really. But when we have vision problems, (laughs) all of a sudden we do everything we can to restore our eyesight back to normal, right? We get glasses, we get contacts, we do whatever we need to do. We've been talking about in this series, right in the middle, like Caleb said, of this series called Taste and See, and we've taken one particular verse that the psalmist wrote, and we've been running with this verse the last several weeks. Take a look at it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, read it with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. One more time. Turn to the person next to you. You can remember this, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we want you to get throughout this series is for us to realize this. And over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how we have been invited. This is an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. Through these two senses, to become more aware of God and, and his everyday expressions of goodness in our lives. That's what we want. That's what we want to see happen. I don't know if you caught this morning, even all of our songs were about seeing and our eyes and show us and all. Everything is focused for one theme. We want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's interesting that um, our eyes play such a major role on determining, on deciding whether something tastes good or not. As we've talked about last time in our last study, our sense of taste is amazing. We can distinguish between five flavors. Anybody remember what those flavors were? Help me out here. Sweet, sour, bitter, salty, and, and savory, or umami is what some call it, um, but what's interesting, there's five flavors that your, your taste buds can distinguish, but did you know that your eyes can see thousands of colors? We've already seen the shades of colors that we can pick up with our eyes, and that's probably why our sense of taste so depends not just on our tongue, but on our eyes. It helps us. Our eyes see the food. They tell us what it should taste like from a learned response. We're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. And we taste what we see. We taste what it should be. We we, we see it and we think this is the way it should taste. Mistakenly, some research theorized that food would be enjoyed more by taking the, the eyes, the vision, out of the picture. And so... Recent restaurant, high-end restaurants, decided we're going to serve meals in pitch black. It's true. It really happens. Um, Tokyo, they have some. and other places of the world, they have some. They have discovered, though, that customers 
get confused if it's pitch black. They don't want to eat in the dark. They do not like the experience of eating in the dark. They want to see their food. How many of you want to see what you're eating? I do. I do. I definitely do. Because sometimes it's hard to distinguish what you're eating if you can't see it. And because we look at food before we put it into our mouths, the very first information your brain often gets comes from your eyes. And, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. But I thought it would be fun to have another taste test. We did one last week. We did one with blindfolds. There's no blindfolds involved in this one. This is a really simple taste test to determine which juice you like best. And we've got three different colors of juice. And truly, it is juice. I Trust me on this. It isn't something really weird that we're going to have you drink or anything like that. We have green juice, we have orange juice, and we have red juice. And really, that's all that we're going to do is determine which juice you like the best. So I need two volunteers. Do I have any volunteers, men or women? Two volunteers, just to taste juice. Okay, Myra, come on up. Myra, you can be on this side. Anybody else? Wayne, Wayne come on up. Yeah. You just got volunteered. Come on, Wayne. Come on, Wayne. Okay, so what I'm going to do, you guys can see the colors here. I'm just going to turn them this way so it's a little bit easier. And um, I'm, what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you taste the juice, and you're just going to determine which one you like the best. One caveat that I'd like for you to do, though, is before you taste a new color, is rinse out your mouth, get a drink of water, and it kind of cleans your palate before you taste the next one, okay? Because otherwise, flavors blend, all right? So go ahead. Go ahead and try some, and you just tell us which color you like the best, orange, green, or red. We'll give them a few seconds just to taste it. This is all the same juice. It's, it's apple juice. You got the apple. It's interesting. All it is is food coloring that we've added. And the whole point was to let us see that our vision does make a difference in how we taste things, right? right? So that was a real simple uh, illustration to let us see how it plays out um, with our eyes and how our eyes truly make a difference. The appearance of food can dramatically affect how it tastes to us. How many of you have ever looked at something and you think, wow, that looks gross. I'm not eating that. Maybe you're on a buffet. Have you ever done it on a buffet before and you walk through and, and you, you come to one thing and you're like, oh no, 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 no way. <laughs> and you move on to something else. Yeah. From an early age, it's interesting, from an early age, we learn to associate colors with flavors. So even that's why we kind of did this color test I mean, we, we would have a tendency, if we think these are fruit juices, what would we think the orange color would represent? What kind of taste do you think it would have? Orange. Why? Because it's orange. But we're seeing it as orange, right? But actually, it was apple juice. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the green one, what color, what flavor do you think it would have? Lime or apple, you know? Yeah, yeah. How about the red? Cherry, strawberry, I heard strawberry, watermelon, cranberry. How come we think the red tastes like those? Right, because it's red, because we're seeing it. See, from an early age, we begin to associate colors with flavors. In fact, research has proven, get this, yellow, orange, and especially red-colored foods are considered sweeter because of their color. Isn't that interesting? 
Um, our eyes have been conditioned to see certain foods in a particular way. And while some colors stimulate our taste buds, as I've already said, some colors kind of turn us off to that food. In fact, this morning, I was the one that put the food coloring in this juice, and we were going to have a blue. And when I put the blue in, it just looked gross. I'm thinking, I wouldn't even want to drink this, right? And so I changed and went orange. And so um, it kind of shows you that our, the way we see things, the way we see food um, affects our taste. Professional chefs know that part of the secret of delivering delectable food is in the way in which it is presented. And we've become very familiar with that. We know that food needs to be presented in a way that's appetizing, not only to the palate, but to our what? To our eyes. If it looks good, like the food that we're looking at on the screen, if it looks good, we're going to want to try it. We're going to want to taste it. In a smart restaurant, every plate is carefully inspected before it is sent off by a waiter um, to the, the customer to ensure its visual purpose. Isn't it interesting that chefs use that phrase, visual purpose, regarding food? I mean, if you think about it, a rotisserie roasted chicken makes your mouth water a lot more than pale poached chicken right? The screen tells us that. I'm, I'm hopefully making you hungry this morning in all of these pictures. A salad with colors in them is way more attractive than just plain iceberg lettuce. We, we know that to be true. How many of you have ever watched a cooking show online or on TV before? How many of you have ever done that? Yeah, most of us have. And so, you know, in the last 20 years or so, we have seen this growth in the popularity of culinary shows, and the rise of celebrity chefs. And, and what's interesting is this has led to an increased exposure of the visually succulent cooking procedures, the, the beautifully portrayed dishes, from supermarkets to TV ads to the sides of food packaging. Food is presented, advertised, marketed in the best-looking way possible. Look at these shots on the screen here of frozen, different frozen foods. It's, you, you can go into a whole study about this, but, but we graze, listen to this, this is technical terms, we graze by our eyes. We figure out what we want to, to eat by our eyes. So if you were in the frozen food section opening up the frozen food cases and looking, you would be attracted to a certain look on the packaging. Everybody follow that? See, our eyes really play a lot in how we taste. I think it's interesting that one restaurant consultant and publisher recently suggested that the way food looks is perhaps more important than ever. In fact, this is what he said. Get this. Restaurants are preparing food now to look good on Instagram. Social media. Isn't that interesting? And I don't know about you, but that burger looks really good, doesn't it? Right there, it's picture perfect. You know why? You know why it, it, restaurants are trying to prepare food that looks so good? Because not just with our tongues, we also eat with our eyes. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you eat with your eyes. You do. It's not just your mouths. It's your eyes that are involved in the taste and the eating process. And so let's go back to our text. Let's think about it for just a minute. We're invited to taste and what? See that the Lord is good. I want you to circle that word see. 
on your outline. Hopefully you've got that full page outline that was in your brochure this morning. Would love for everybody to have that and use that today to follow along, to fill in the blanks. There's going to be some homework on the backside that you definitely are going to want to look at as we get to the end um, today. But circle that word see in our text. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, many of you know that the Bible was not originally written in English. The Old Testament, specifically, was originally written in Hebrew, and then it's translated into English so that we can understand it. I would imagine that most of us in this room cannot read Hebrew, so I'm thankful about, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that it's been translated into English so that I can understand it. And it's a really interesting word in Hebrew that's used for the English word see. The the word in Hebrew is the word ra'ah. And ra'ah means, in Hebrew, it means to see, yes, but to see, to learn, to see, to know, to see, to perceive. Hmm. Now, to me, that's different than just observing. That's different than just looking at something. If I'm looking at something to learn about it, looking at someone to know them, looking at a situation to perceive it, To me, it says more than just seeing. Everybody follow that? And that's what the author of uh, the psalmist is writing. He's saying, taste and see, taste and know, taste and perceive that the Lord is good. It means to know something, to know someone. So how do we see that God is good? That's the question we have to ask. I mean, if he is inviting us to do this, how do we How do we do this? Well, sticking with the food theme of this verse, I think it works the same way that food memory works in us. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you remember how food tastes. Would you tell them that? Come on. You remember how food tastes. You do. Now, I want to show a picture here. How many of you know, all right, I have a picture on the screen. How many of you know what that is? Just raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay, let's say it out loud. Mac and cheese. Okay, right now, right now, in your mind, how many of you know how mac and cheese tastes? Do you see how this works? We're we're thinking cheese right now, aren't we? Some of us are getting really hungry right now. We're thinking mac and cheese. How many of you have have ever had bad mac and cheese? Okay, for me, I mean, I don't don't do cheese anymore, but but cheese, you know, mac and cheese back in the day, if, if it didn't have enough cheese in it, it wasn't good. Anybody else like me in that? I mean, if it's not just when you stick a fork in it and you pull it up and it just strings out with cheese, that's the way I wanted it, right? We know what that tastes like. Isn't that strange how we know, we remember what that tastes like? We've had it before. And so just seeing it causes us to taste it. Wow. You see how this works? We have had, all of us have had food memories. We see certain foods, and because we've experienced them in the past, we know if they're good. And we know if they're yucky, (laughs) right? How many of you have ever been served something, or maybe again, go back to the buffet, I don't know why I keep going back to the buffet, but anyway, go back to the buffet, and how many of you have been through a buffet, and you see something, and you have had that before, and you know that it made you sick? Or you know that it just did not set well. Or you just know that it tasted yucky. And immediately when you see it, you go, oh. Right? Now, I I didn't know what food to pick to, to depict that to us. But I bet you got something in your mind right now. 
Something that you would say, I'm not eating that because it is yucky. I've tried it. It's yucky. Susan Whitbourne, a professor of psychological and brain sciences at the University of Massachusetts, says this, food memories are more sensory than other memories because they involve all five senses. And when you're that thoroughly engaged with the stimulus, it has a more powerful effect on you. Hmm. Psychologist and neuroscience uh, scientist Hadley Birdstrom says this, He takes it a step farther. He says, food memories tend to be the strongest of associative memories that you can make. And we all know this to be true. Now, this is a little different than taste, but how many of you have ever walked into someone's home and they're cooking, they're they're baking cookies? Can you smell it? Like right now, can you smell it? Right? We can. You know why? Because there's a food memory. It's the same way with sight. You know what a chocolate chip cookie looks like. You know what a chocolate chip cookie is supposed to look like when you break it open and pick up part of it, and it just, mm, right? We're tasting it. We're tasting it by food memory. Food memories shape our experience. So when you eat lunch today, I want you to think about that. Wherever you are, I want you to think about, you know, my experience right now of eating, of tasting is being affected by what I see because of what I've experienced in the past. Everybody follow that? And so it all shapes the experience. You and I are shaped by the memory that we have of food. In the same way, follow my segue here, in the same way, Jesus wants our experience of him to shape the way we see him. This is important for us to get. He wants our experience of him to shape the way we see him. Just like tasting, seeing comes through experiencing. And you know what Jesus is like because of what he has done in your life. You know what he is like because of what you've experienced. Huh. I think this is what Jesus is trying to communicate to his closest followers, you've, you've probably read the New Testament and you, you've come across passages where, you know, Jesus says something or he does something and the disciples, they just seem clueless. You ever come across passages like that in the New Testament, especially in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where it's talking about Jesus' ministry and with his 12 followers, his disciples, and Jesus did something or he says something, and, and they just don't get it. It's, it's almost like they're just not paying attention or they don't understand or whatever. And all too often, Jesus says things like this to him: Don't you get what I'm doing? Don't you understand what I'm saying? He, he says things like, don't you have faith in me? Don't you trust me yet? Don't you believe me yet? See, I think he's trying to have them connect the way they see him with what they've experienced. Everybody follow that? How they have seen him in the past, how they've experienced him in the past, how they have tasted of him in the past, and now have that shape the way they see him now in the present. I think this is what the whole chapter of Mark 8 is about. Uh, The writer Mark tells us this in verse 1. Another large crowd had gathered and the people ran out of food again. (laughs) Notice this again. They ran out of food. 
We've, we've been down this road before. We probably know the miracle that Jesus did of feeding the multitude of 5,000. It was 5,000 men that were counted plus women and children. And he, he did it with, do you guys remember how many loaves that he had? It was what, five loaves and, and how many fish? Two fish, yeah. He, he, he fed this multitude of possibly eight, 10, 12,000 people by blessing and multiplying five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, here we are again. A large crowd has gathered. We're going to find out later that there was 4,000 men in this crowd. So this is a different miracle. This is a different happening, a different situation. But they run out of food. And look what happens. Jesus calls his disciples and he tells them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way. I, I don't know about you, but I am moved by the compassion of Jesus in this. He's like, they're not going to make it home. They've been with me three days. They have no food. We've got to do something about this, guys. For some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples say, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? I mean, they're typical like us, right? Come on, <laughs> you're asking for the impossible here. I know you're supposed to be the son of God and all, but we have nothing. Later on, you're going to see they didn't even bring anything. The disciples were hungry too, probably, a little bit, you know, hangry, right? Have you ever been there before where you're hungry and angry together? And you're, okay, and that's probably what's going on here. And they're saying, look, we're, we don't know what to do. We can't provide food for all of these people. And look what Jesus does. Jesus says, how much bread do you have? What is he doing? He's, he's tapping into what took place before, right? The other time, there, there were these loaves. Guys, how, how much bread do you have? And, and look at what it says. Seven loaves. They replied, oh, wait, wait, wait. How, how many loaves did we have when we fed 5,000, guys? Help me out. Five. Okay, how many loaves do we have today? We're better off this time than we were last time, right? And we missed this. I, I think this is some sarcasm here of Jesus. I mean, he's, he's kind of bringing this into the picture here of letting them see that we're better off this time than we were the last time. We have more to start with. Seven loaves. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Basically, he said, pull up to the table, you're going to eat. So they sat down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, he thanked God for them, he broke them into pieces, he gave them to his disciples, who distributed the bread to the crowd. Again, I don't know when the miracle took place. Was it when he, when he you know, thanked God for the seven loaves and poof, and it just became multiple loaves. I don't know. Or maybe it was when he, he gave it to his disciples and, and Peter's holding out, you know, his hands or maybe his shirt. He's like, just, just put it here, you know. And Jesus goes, are you sure? He goes, yeah. And poof, you know, and it just becomes lots. I don't know. Maybe it was when Peter was giving out the food and he's like, here you go, here you go, here you go. Here you go, man, this is not running out. Here you go, here you go, here you go. You know, I don't know when the miracle happened, but somewhere along the lines, a miracle happened because they distributed the food, the bread, to the crowd. Look what it says. They ate as much as they wanted. Have you ever eaten as much as you've wanted? Let's be honest, come on. Have you ever been there before? Ever been in a buffet? Ever been in an all-you-can-eat? Ever been on a cruise ship? Ever been in a, at somebody's house? And you've just eaten as much as you've wanted. And, and what do you do when you sit back? You go, I'm full, man. 
I don't know if I can move, right? We all do this. They were full. They ate as much as they wanted. And it says, afterwards, the disciples picked up seven baskets of leftover food. Wait, how many loaves did they start out with? Seven. And now they end up with seven baskets of leftovers. And it says, there were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they've eaten. Wow. Let's go home. We're done. Right? I mean, that was, a, that was an incredible miracle that just took place. But look at this. Right after the miracle, Jesus gets into a boat with the disciples, and they sail to the other side of the lake. And look at what the disciples are concerned about. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any what? Food. <laughs> this, is, this is right after. And they didn't bring any food with them. I don't know what they did with the leftovers. Maybe they sent them home with the crowd. Hey, Joe, you want to take some home? Sure, go ahead. You know, I don't know what they did with all those seven baskets of leftovers. But they didn't bring any food with them. It says they only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. How many of you know one loaf of bread does not go very far with 13 hungry men? And that's what they were facing here. And it says at this they began to argue. There's that hangry again, right? They're hungry and, and getting angry, arguing because they hadn't brought any bread. Can, can you hear the argument? I can. Hey, dude. You had one job. You were supposed to bring lunch for all. One job, and you couldn't do one job. Hey, it wasn't my fault. I mean, it was, you know, Tom, he was, he was the one that was, you know. Can you just imagine this argument that's going on, and it's getting loud. It says that Jesus knew what they were saying, probably because it was getting loud. It was an argument. And so look what he says. Why are you arguing about having no bread? Almost like, guys, did you just miss what we just did in providing food for 4,000 plus people? Look, look what he says. Love this next line. He says, you have eyes. I skipped the line, didn't I? Sorry. Don't you know? Don't you understand? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you what? See, what's he talking about? Can't you remember what I've already done? Can't you remember, can't you see, don't you have a memory of what I've done in the past, what you just experienced? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? And they said 12. And when I just fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven. Look what he says. Don't you get it? Don't you understand this? And get this. Same day, very next thing that happens, it says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, so they come to the other side of the lake, they arrive at Bethsaida, and look what happens. Some people brought a blind man. Now, let me ask you a question. A blind man can't what? See. Hmm. 
A blind man, they brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him to make him see. So spitting on the man's eyes, that's a little gross, but Jesus used all kinds of different ways. I don't know why. I'm going to ask him that when I get to heaven. You know, why did you spit on the guy's face? But anyway, spitting on the, I'm sorry, that's the way I think. Spitting on the man's eyes, Jesus laid his hands on him and asked, can you, what? See. There's a part of me, I really, I really want to believe that this really happened, okay? This would be what I would do. If I was Jesus and I, just touch this blind guy, and now I'm asking a question, can you see anything at all? You know what I would do? I would go, can you, hey boys, see anything at all? He's, this is an object lesson. There's, there's no coincidence here. Can you see anything now? The man looked around, and he said, yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. This is an interesting miracle because it really didn't happen all at once. It says, the guy says, they look like trees walking around. So his vision wasn't really 20-20, right? It was pretty blurry. He needed some, some glasses, but Jesus was going to heal him all the way. So it says, so then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were open. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. So don't miss this. Straight off of challenging what his disciples see, Jesus heals a blind man. No coincidence here. I'm pretty sure that this was intended to be an in-your-face, open-up-your-eyes-to-see kind of object lesson to his disciples, to his followers. I think Jesus was wanting to help his disciples see. Jesus talks a lot about seeing. Read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus talks a lot about seeing. He talks a lot about seeing God. He talks a lot about seeing what God is doing around us. In fact, one day, Jesus used what Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, wrote to speak to his disciples. Jesus was trying to get something across to his disciples, and look what he says. This fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah that says, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes, so their eyes cannot, what, see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. He's saying, there's people all around us that are not getting this. They're not turning to me because they're not seeing, and they're not hearing, and they're not understanding. And then he speaks to his disciples, his closest followers directly. Look what he says to them, but blessed are your eyes. Because they see, and your ears, because they hear. I tell you the truth, many prophets, many righteous people, many people long to see what you see, but they didn't see it. Question. What were his disciples seeing? Jesus' disciples. What were Jesus' disciples seeing that other people were not seeing? They were seeing what Jesus was doing. Up close, personal. I already explained how this miracle went down. We don't know how it went down, but what if, what if the multiplication of this bread happened 
when they were serving it to the people. I mean, come on, let's just think soup kitchen here, right? Now we got a line of people and we're serving chicken noodle soup. And, and we pray that God would bless this and a miracle happens and the soup is multiplied and we start serving and we're getting down to the bottom of the container. What do you do? You know, you pick up the container and you're scooping it out because you're wanting to serve as many people as you can. But what if as people keep coming, you just start noticing it's not stopping. Is, is, there like, is there like a line, a direct line to this thing that it's not emptying out? It's, it's happening. There's a miracle that's happening as I'm serving. And I really believe that that's what the disciples had experienced at two different occasions. That they experienced what, what God was doing. And Jesus is saying, there's so many people that want to see what you see. Do you get this? Jesus talked a lot about seeing, a lot about seeing God, a lot about seeing what God does. Because I believe this, I want you to get this down. Jesus wants his followers to see his goodness. He wants us to be aware of it. I mean, he wants us to know how good he is, not just in our lives, but in the lives of other people. I mean, we're invited to something, right? What's our text? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, say it with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is an invitation, and I'm convinced that you will not be disappointed if you taste and see that the Lord is good. So I've got some homework for you this week. Don't groan. It's not hard, okay? But my goal, our goal, is that we want you to, to see that the Lord is good in your life. I mean, friends, come on. When was the last time you thought about the goodness of God in your life? When was the last time that you just stopped and reflected on what God has done? I mean, we're, you know, we're just spinning off here from New Year's and New Year's Eve, and people have a tendency to do those kinds of things. You know, if, they're, if they follow God at all, they, they're thinking about what God has done in the year past or whatever, and, and, and that's cool and all that. But on a regular basis, how often do we do this? I mean, we get going with our lives. We get going too fast and too busy, and we zip right past what God is doing in our life without even recognizing that God is doing it. Often we write things off as a coincidence or we, or we pass right by a miracle and we don't even realize or recognize that it was a miracle that just took place. Or sometimes we do and we keep it to ourselves. Did you know that God does miracles in your life not just so that you will experience them but other people around you will experience them too? And I'm not just talking other Christians, other followers of Jesus. Did you know that there are some coworkers that you have that need to hear what God is doing in your life, whether or not they believe in God yet? Notice I said yet. You know why? Because God wants them to see what's going on in your life and get a taste of it. I mean, come on. How many of you have ever been around a person who is eating something that you're thinking to yourself, I've never tried that before, but I've always wanted to. Or, if you, or maybe you walk by, maybe you're, maybe you're not like me in this, but I have a tendency to do this when I've got something at a restaurant and I'm walking back to my seat or whatever, or I'm sitting down already at my seat and my dish comes and, and I'm thinking, yeah, I got the same old thing again. I ordered the same old thing, you know. 
And I look up and I see other tables and I kind of look to see what, what they got. Man, I've always wanted to taste that. And so as I'm talking with whoever's on my table and I'm eating and every once in a while I'm glancing up and what I'm glancing up is to see if that guy likes it. I'm kind of, you know, tasting vicariously. I don't know if that's a real thing, but I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of watching him and, and I'm thinking, I've always wanted to taste, I wonder what that tastes like. Oh, he really likes that. I should try that next time. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I do that. And I think that's what God tries to create in people around us. And the only way they're going to know that God is good, the only way they're going to be attracted to taste and see that God is good, is if you and I tell them. If you and I broadcast that. And I'm not talking social media, okay? I'm talking face-to-face. I'm talking with people that you know, that you work with, that you, know, that, that you care for, that are close to you. Tell them what God is doing in your life. Don't be afraid of it. I'm telling you, people are far more open to spiritual things right now than they have ever been. Don't be afraid of it. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. I, I want you to get this. If I don't recognize what God has done and is doing, I won't see his goodness. If I don't recognize it, what God has done in the past, what God is doing now in my life, I won't see his goodness. I won't recognize his goodness. And you might ask, well, how do I know God is doing things in my life? Well, for me personally, I like to take three verses and use these three verses to connect the dots. And, and, and it's, it's to help me realize that God is active. Sometimes it doesn't appear that he is in my life. Sometimes it feels like, you know, things are not happening. And it's like, God, are you really there? Are you really doing something? There's three particular verses that I constantly turn to to remind me that God is working in my life. First is Psalm 138. Actually, this is my wife's favorite verse, but I love this verse too. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. Come on, read it with me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. My wife likes to take, Rick Warren years ago taught a way to, to look at verses and to study verses. She likes to take this way where she emphasizes certain words. She does it a lot in our kids' way classes. But she'll read this verse and she'll say, you know, we, we just read it. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. She'll read it like this. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. And that's what I have a tendency to do with this verse. To remind me that God has plans, that God is working in my life, and it's all about him, not me. Everybody get that? Another verse that I use is God himself tells us something to trust. He says, I know the plans I have for you. They are plans for what? Good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And then lastly, the apostle Paul tells me something to rely on. Look what Paul says. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his what? Purpose for them. Do you see how, how this all plays in that God has a purpose, he has a plan, he's working in my life, and it's all about him. Amen? 
It's true. And I use that to remind myself that God is working in my life. I believe that he is. But all too often, I don't see what God is doing. And maybe you're there. All too often, I don't pause enough, slow down enough, stop in my life enough to see it, to think about it, to remember it, to reflect on it. And so I want to help you see the goodness of God in your life this week. So on the back side of that outline, take a look at it. If you don't have an outline, you need to get one before you leave because you got homework. Um, the back side of this outline, there's a blank space for two questions. And I would love for you to spend some time this week answering those two questions. The two questions are, what has God done in my life and what is God doing in my life? So we're talking about the past and we're talking about now. And I want you to just list as much as you can possibly list. And you say, well, I don't have a whole lot. Well, the space is small. You say, well, I've got a lot to list. Well, then get some extra paper. I'm not going to provide it for you. You can do it, right? But spend some time. If you want to do it all in one day, if you want to do it this afternoon, great. But I would recommend that you do it throughout this week. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here. You know why? Because when you get to Wednesday, you're going to remember something. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And you go back and you have Thursday. Oh, yeah, I forgot. And you get... Just do it through the week. And I believe that you will get to the end of the week and you will go, God, you're so good to me. Because hmm. he is. If we can remember, we will see the goodness of God. Let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads?